Thank you for tuning in to Tech United on Tap, brought to you by Tech United New Jersey. You're listening to a special episode from our Propelify 2020 series, and you can find more episodes like this on our website at techunited.co. That's techunited.co. This talk debuted at the fifth annual Propelify Innovation Festival in October 2020, where our mantra is to propel ideas into action. Enjoy it, and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Welcome to Propelify Better Wellness Day, brought to you actually by Hackensack Meridian Health with a variety of other partners, where we focus on how the technology community can make an impact in wellness. I'm joined for, uh, today you know, with a session I'm really excited about, about New Jersey's response to the pandemic, what we could do, what the technology community could do, an update on, on the progress we've made. And so joining me today is uh, Dr. David Adenero, the Deputy Commissioner for the New Jersey Department of Health. He's with Daniel Varga, the Chief Physician Executive at Hackensack Meridian, excuse me, at Hackensack Meridian Health. Both of you, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm going to hand the conversation over to you, uh, Dr. Adenero, but I want to first make sure people are aware of your background. He's a lifelong resident. He's a phys- he was a physician for 17 years at St. Joseph's University Medical Center in Patterson. He held a variety of positions, including the chief of emergency medicine, a patient safety officer, the chief medical information officer, and the chief medical officer. As the chief medical information officer, he helped create an electronic medical medical record system for an entire hospital. He volunteered in late March through the COVID-19 portal to join the state's pandemic response, of which we're tremendously grateful. I'm going to hand it over to you to drive this conversation. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you. And uh, I'm excited to get to uh, introduce Dr. Varga who, as you mentioned, is the Chief Physician Executive at Hackensack Meridian Health, uh, where I, I understand that you uh, just joined prior to the pandemic, it looks like. And, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, you're really in charge of really everything that involves the physicians within the healthcare network uh, and the enterprise itself, and then the coordination of everything, which I imagine has been a huge uh, undertaking uh, normally, much less when so many people are remote and you're dealing with a pandemic on top of everything else. So I'm excited to have a conversation with you over the next, you know, 30 minutes or so. And, uh, you know, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, David. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I, I think that the first question that's always on people's minds is essentially what do you think it's going to take for uh, people to feel comfortable getting back to something that feels normal, whether that's the old normal or whatever the new normal of, uh, of our life is going to be? You know, it's a great question. Um, to be quite honest, I'm not sure we get back to a new normal or get back to the old normal. I think there'll be a new normal. The, uh, um, it's been fascinating to, to watch, don't you think, that uh, the way that we've had to start thinking about communicable illness again. Uh, I'm reminded back, you know, when I was in residency is when HIV first came on the, on the horizon. And, you know, while we, you know, we knew how to do infection prevention and practice sterile technique and everything, there was never the concept of universal precautions, right? When we were handling, I mean, I'm sure, David, you can remember back in residency, I mean, we used to walk into, a, you know, a 16-bed ward with, you know, tubes of, you know, blood tubes in our pockets and, you know, a, uh, a tourniquet and a, and a couple needles, and we'd go and draw blood, you know, no glove, no, no mask, et cetera. So, you know, we clearly moved to a new normal in that scenario. And I'm not so sure we're not moving to a new normal, 
now where folks will be seriously thinking about how do I use those risk mitigating sorts of uh, interventions uh, across the board. And I'm not so sure that that's not a good thing. I mean, look at Southern Hemisphere influenza this year, right? I mean, virtually none because folks with social distancing, masking, hand washing, et cetera. So, um, but, you know, seriously, I think that part of what folks will, you know, probably look to is uh, having an effective prevention proposition in hand, namely a vaccine. And, you know, I uh, completely agree with everything you said. And I think that uh, is a nice transition to the next question, which is going to be around both what do you think are the prospects for a vaccine? I know I, we've had a lot of conversations, and obviously in the state of New Jersey, we, we have had a task force for the last uh, almost two months preparing for an eventual vaccine. And where do you think that vaccine is going to bring us, assuming that an effective one comes out, uh, in terms of what, what life will look like in 2022 and beyond? Well, I mean, I, 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 we're going to get a vaccine, right? Uh, state's been actively engaged in, uh, in helping to coordinate that work. Actually, Hackensack Meridian is actually participating in the Moderna trial right now. Uh, we have, we'll be enrolling 300 uh, patients into that trial. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see that we have a vaccine until probably after the first of the year. I mean, particularly when you're looking at the two-dose vaccines, um, I mean, I think we're about 150 enrollees in so far. Uh, we've got another 150 to go. Then for all those folks, they got to get a second shot 28 days after their first shot. Then you got to see if they get COVID. Uh, so I think, but I think we will get a vaccine. I think we'll get vaccines. Uh, I think that's what the state's anticipating as well as figuring out logistics for multiple types of uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, I think the challenge for us on the vaccine side is going to be, uh, number one, it's going to be a far more logistically complex vaccination process than influenza. It's not going to be like driving up to CVS and, or to Walgreens or Kroger and getting a, getting a shot. Um, so, and we're really glad that the state is as engaged, uh, you know, being kind of the conduit between CDC, the vaccine uh, producers, and the public. Uh, so I think, you know, we'll have vaccines to work with. It'll be logistically complex. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fear to overcome with this. Um, you know, the uh, that's always the case with any vaccine, right? Uh, and you've lived, you live in this world of public health. Uh, even with influenza, we're still working through trying to get people comfortable with influenza vaccines, and they've been around forever. So there will be that. And I think then there will also be the issue of trying to get, uh, making sure that we can equitably distribute the vaccine, make sure that we get it to the most vulnerable populations, get it to, you know, cohorts of the, of the community that may be even more suspicious of vaccination. But really what, what the vaccine will do or how it will work or what its potential side effects are still to be determined based on the trials. You know, I personally am excited for a vaccine to be out there. I personally would have no objection or concerns about getting the vaccine, assuming that the phase three trials prove safe and effective. But I think it's gonna take a lot of outreach to the community to get people comfortable with the concept of vaccinating around COVID. And you've, you've hit on, I think, from our point of view, some, such, uh, some of the really uh, important points related to the vaccine. Uh, you know, we can prepare a process, but we really won't know about the products that we're going to be offering. Uh, I think the fact this will be under an emergency use authorization in the very beginning and not licensed uh, may give some people pause, though 
Uh, it also, I think, how much disease is present and how current that is in people's minds will also potentially drive people to have the vaccine. I think our theme in the Department of Health, uh, amongst the fact that we want to make sure that this is going to be a statewide coordinated effort, we recognize it's going to be administered locally. It's going to be a healthcare system like yours. It's going to be retail pharmacies. It's going to be local health departments and so many other people who are going to have to deliver the literally millions of doses that we're talking about. Uh, but, you know, what, what I was really saying to people is this is the biggest thing we're going to do during the biggest thing we've ever done. And, and I think the scope of this, I think you've captured really nicely. Um, and I will have no problem once, you know, phase three trials are, are over and show that there's some effectiveness and, and, and safety, relative safety for it as much as we're going to know. But there's a lot of education and there's, there's going to be, a, I think, a lot of awareness and level setting we're going to have to do uh, overall. So, and I'm excited you all are involved in the trial. So thank you uh, for that. You know, I, I, I think um, for this next question, um, we spent a lot of time talking about how the negatives of what um, COVID has done to healthcare. And it's had a, a huge negative impact in a lot of ways, you know, financially disrupting care, uh, causing patients to avoid uh, preventive care uh, that we know is very important, uh, you know, particularly early on. Do you see any silver linings? I mean, do you see things that you go, yeah, I want to keep that in my health system, even if we got back to quote unquote, you know, normal, you know, six months or a year from now? Sure, David. I mean, I think uh, there have been some silver linings, I think. Uh, and I don't even know that they're necessarily, some of them are not even necessarily new uh, from the perspective of innovation. Some are real innovation. Um, you know, I think the, the natural uh, skill set of healthcare workers, healthcare leaders to, to innovate, to adapt, to flex uh, is, I think, was really, has really been on display through the pandemic. Um, I mean, when you think of what hospitals did through the surge in New Jersey, I mean, transform, tra I mean, it was a daily occurrence that you were transforming a 30-bed med surge unit into a 30-bed ICU unit with negative pressure rooms and the ability to run ventilators, right? I mean, it was just, it was that sort of creativity that was happening. You know, the fact that folks learned and then implemented things like proning you know, patients who were, who were low on oxygen and everything else, boom, let's do it, let's use it. So you saw that natural creativity. I think some of the, some of the real silver linings we saw, though, I think were, I mean, you know, just for us, the, when we first uh, entered the pandemic uh, and the surge in New Jersey, you recall testing was exclusively through CDC. And you had to, if you had a suspicious, you know, a person under investigation called CDC, CDC decides to test or not. Um, I mean, we developed our own test, right, at the Center for Discovery and Innovation. And that really bought us a, you know, about a one-month bridge where we could test 80, 90 people a day uh, on our own uh, until, you know, rapid tests started to come online. You know, the big, the big commercial labs uh, got, got up and running. Uh, so you saw that sort of innovation. I think the other innovation that you've probably heard lots of our colleagues talk about is, the emergence of being able to do telemedicine for folks um, in this pandemic, I think is gonna have probably the longest lasting impact going forward. I mean, we went from virtually zero telemedicine to almost 2000 telemedicine visits a day inside our physician practices. And today we still are continuing, even as we've gone back up to, you know, almost 6,000 inpatient, vi in-person visits a day 
we're still doing five, 600 telehealth visits a day. And I think that you've probably seen in, uh, you know, amongst our colleagues in New Jersey, lots of other innovations that are going to stick for the long term. Uh, but of the ones I've seen, I think the thing that's most, uh, it's probably um, most noticeable at the level of clinical practice is telehealth. I think the other thing uh, from a public health standpoint has been uh, the demonstration that we can mobilize to, I mean, think of the vaccine mobilization, you know, structure here. I mean, we've got multiple companies in a public-private partnership who are really working together, and we're going to end up with what, half dozen, dozen vaccines in play less than one year after the onset of the disease. So I think we'll see a lot of far-reaching effect, don't you? I you know, completely agree. I mean, I, and I, I think the I, telehealth, I think, has been one of the largest uh, game changers. Uh, and uh, while I still think it's very important that, you know, physicians and other providers get FaceTime with their patients directly mm-hmm. uh, seeing them, so I don't think it eliminates the need uh, for patients uh, to come in, but just the, the ability to have that other option uh, has really just been uh, a significant thing. And it would be hard to imagine if this was 10 or 15 years ago, how we would have uh, done as well, I think, um, in, in healthcare systems uh, without that technology, without a doubt. But, you know, I, I don't want to stay on that theme. You know, uh, you know, technology has played such a large role. The fact that we're having this conversation is easily... Uh, you know, where I think video conferencing was not something that probably we did a lot or was kind of clunky or kludgy even six or seven months ago. I think the technology has improved and we're using it for this and telehealth. Um, what, what do you think are some of the other technology things that really you've all been able to, to use or maybe we should be using more during this, uh, during, uh, during this pandemic? Well, I mean, clearly, I think you hit the nail on the head, David, that this is... Uh, we talk about a new normal. I mean, this has become a new normal for almost all of us now. Uh, and I think we'll be living in this technology sector for, for some time to come uh, as we kind of ease our way back into, um, you know, folks working at work instead of at home. I think we'll see blended hybridized kind of models around that for a while. I think one of the, in, one of the most interesting technological things that I think we've seen uh, and it's just starting to churn, is the, the technology around uh, big data and artificial intelligence. As we're, we're, you know, we now have what, um, you know, several million Americans who've been infected with COVID. We've got hundreds of thousands of people who've been hospitalized, uh, folks who've been treated with varieties of treatments because there was no, uh, no recipe for this when, when, when the pandemic hit. And I think one of the things that we've seen even in a, in a relatively uh, 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 kind of niche way is as we look at just our own patient populations and use you know, statistical modeling and the ability to use artificial intelligence and real life databases, uh, et cetera, to kind of learn from these things in real time. I think when you take that to scale, uh, the, the power of that technology is just going to be, I think it, it's already starting to change healthcare, right? But I think one of the things the pandemic uh, demonstrated is that it's not just something that you do retrospectively. It's something you can do in real time and ask big questions of big chunks of data in real time and, and actually get some useful answers. And, I, and, you know, I think this is, uh, you know, uh, I think big data is uh, something that we've talked about for a long time. 
I do think that the pandemic is also kind of uh, highlighted what I like to call little data, which is, you know, getting actionable information into a clinician's hand as rapidly as possible, particularly around, let's say, smaller trends that, you know, you may not pick up. And just the amount of information that um, really moved between healthcare systems, states, regions of this country, as we were learning about how to approach this disease, uh, and particularly the sicker members of it, I think was really amazing. And technology, you know, and social media, to be honest with you, played a, a very large role in that also. Uh, I am going to take a moment just to do a small uh, bit of advertising for the Department of Health. Yesterday, we re released our um, uh, COVID app, uh, which does have a couple of different functions. You can check your symptoms. You can see how the state of New Jersey is doing. But most importantly, in terms of helping our um, our contact tracing, this is also our exposure app. So, you know, a lot of other states have had this. New York announced it yesterday. This really gives you the ability to anonymously, quote, uh, happen to contract COVID, be able to share that information with the people who have the app, who uh, have been exposed to you, and the reverse, uh, same thing. If, if it records Bluetooth information so that if somebody uh, you've been near has been diagnosed with COVID and then they share that information in the app, you'll also know. Uh, we, I think, released it about noon yesterday. We've already had 53,000 downloads. So we're really excited about that. It also has a symptom tracker. It also tells you, you know, other information about what's going on in the state of New Jersey related to COVID. So we're really hoping that people will use that. And we really think that on particularly college campuses uh, and then, you know, some of these, uh, the younger age groups that are very uh, technologically comfortable and very uh, cell phone oriented, this could really be an important thing for us. You know, because we know we're already, we're having more and more cases pop up on college campuses. So uh, I'd encourage everybody to go to their app store or the uh, Play Store. Uh, and it's a COVID uh, is, uh, uh, let me get it correctly. It is COVID Alert NJ. Uh, and you can download it. And again, it does not share, it's all anonymous sharing of information. And if you ever have a concern about it, you can also uh, delete it from your phone and your information will be deleted also. Uh, but it's something that we developed in, uh, in conjunction with a number of different states, and we're excited about uh, being able to have that up and running. Uh, Great. So I, that's my only uh, small advertisement for the Department of Health today. You know, I, to me, I think one of the, the, the things we've gained, obviously, is the ability to talk remotely. And I think one of the things that we've lost is I've always judged the success of a meeting by how many people afterwards kind of stay and break up into smaller groups and continue the conversation in and around or whatever the topic of the meeting. And that's obviously something that's hard to do on Zoom or Microsoft Teams. How do you think we, how are you all trying to approach the ability to make sure that, you know, your own internal teams are, are empowered and still have the ability to, you know, have their voice heard and to, you know, really have that, that, that collaborative ability uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. I think, for, for, our, for our business, so when, when we're looking at the, the healthcare system, it really, it, it ends up separating into kind of two big cohorts. The first being that, you know, the clinical teams, you know, still are at the bedside, right? I mean, so doc, doctors, nurses, uh, other frontline care providers, all the folks that make a hospital or a doctor's office or a, an urgent care center work, they're all still there in person. And I, I think they still... Uh, have the have the benefit of keeping that um, that uh, interpersonal collegial sort of interaction going um, when because you still do most of that in person. 
Uh, for the rest of us, in terms of connecting with frontline care uh, caregivers and keeping the organization, which is a big organization, it's 35,000 employees, multiple sites all over the state of New Jersey, that's become more challenging. I think, David, the way that we've approached that is there's a certain undercurrent that says if you can't uh, have uh, focused, intimate time with folks, then you just have to really over-communicate. I, mean, I know that when we were in the, in the teeth of the surge, um, you know, I, was pro I think I did uh, two to three night a week uh, webinars with our medical staff, kind of just like this. We did weekly town halls. Bob Garrett was doing town halls left and right. Uh, and, you know, we had to get out of our own box, right? We, we were rounding out in, the, uh, out in our facilities, visiting with our physicians and their physician practices, et cetera. So, um, you know, you, you, it's, it's harder. It's a lot harder than just having the, the comfort of a meeting where you can hang around after the meeting and really connect. Um, it, it, it takes a lot more proactivity, and particularly when you're talking about, um, you know, kind of more of the corporate fun function of, uh, of a business, right? I mean, it's just, it's... And, you know, I think that then uh, I, uh, I think that segues kind of nicely into my next question, which is um, on top of empowering people, you know, we saw, first of all, uh, that this illness had disproportionate effect on a number of our communities. And, you know, New Jersey is an incredibly diverse state. Uh, and sometimes healthcare and many other uh, industries are criticized for not necessarily reflecting that diversity in, within our own uh, organizations. Where, where do you see sort of your role uh, in your position or your, your system's role in, you know, kind of investing and increasing in the diversity? And how do you think that, you know, potentially pays off in terms of, uh, you know, just improving your organization and the health of the communities you serve? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question. And I think COVID, uh, even, when we, even as we managed it, I think fairly well, uh, exposed certain, I think, fundamental elements of, of uh, the way healthcare delivery works uh, and the shortcomings attendant there too. The biggest thing for us, I mean, so when I look at healthcare disparity, let's start, just start with the delivery of healthcare uh, as opposed to, we'll get to the healthcare workforce side, but healthcare delivery, um, I think particularly hospital systems and healthcare systems have always had uh, a certain false security. Because if you really look at data, when people get inside our walls, there's a lot of equity. You look at outcomes for acute care delivery uh, in, in the United States, and it's fairly equitable across the board. You can't really find big differences. But COVID, if we didn't already know it, COVID told us that for us to really impact diversity as a healthcare system, you got to get outside the four walls of your hospital. Uh, you have to be in the community. You have to be connecting with people and meeting with them where they are. And I think right now, if you look at this right now, the, there's, you know, we also invented a new population that we've put out in the, out there. And that is the senior population. For example, you take the senior population who are big users of healthcare. I can tell you, I've got an 88 year old retired uh, internal medicine specialist father. Uh, who's been isolated for six months. And, you know, and, and he can, he's got the wherewithal to, to kind of do well in that isolation, although it's driving him crazy and he hates being isolated from the rest of the world. 
but we've got, you know, other seniors who, you know, they're, they're housebound. They can't get out. There's no way to go get food, pick up medications. We've got our communities of color uh, that, you know, already are challenged by the issues of access to healthcare. And I think the message to healthcare systems has been relative to the delivery models. We got to get outside the, outside the four walls. We got to get out there with you guys in public health and really, and really start to, you know, look to make a difference in those spheres as opposed to just sitting back and say, we've built it. You can come we'll take care of you when you get here. You know, I really appreciate you saying this, obviously for the Department of Health and particularly I think for this administration, you know, the trying to eliminate racial and ethnic disparities, particularly around uh, healthcare has, has been a goal. Uh, and certainly I, uh, the pandemic has really highlighted and put you know, a very bright light on the impact uh, that uh, that disease has on uh, you know on, on particularly uh, some of our uh, communities of color uh, and 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 so it shows some of the differences of of what we're what we were currently delivering and how we should be moving forward. I think this is also something that you know we're excited about the fact that in the governor's budget there is money uh, for implicit bias training uh, for healthcare providers. So I think that's going to be something that. And hopefully meld in very nicely into uh, you know what you're, what you've been talking about also, uh, so I really appreciate hearing that. Uh, you know, I, I we have I think a few more minutes and and kind of as a the final question, I think it it's really two parts, but I think it kind of combines nicely. One is I think New Jersey clearly is a leader in in technology spheres, spheres and also in healthcare. So I kind of maybe like to hear how you see New Jersey fitting both technology and its leadership in technology and leadership in healthcare together. And then I guess seeing that as where do you see that helping build, you know, a better healthcare system as you're talking about getting outside of our fall walls and meeting people where they are, you know, to try to make healthcare, you know, better than it was, you know, before we, you know, before 2020 came along. You know, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the, um, a couple big themes that I think I've, I've seen and that I think we'll keep seeing play out <clears throat> over the next several months, over the next few years, is we got, we've gotten through this to the degree we've gotten through this so far uh, with uh, a really new focus, don't you think, David, on partnerships? Uh, I mean, whether it's public-private partnerships, whether it's regional partnerships, whether it's... Um, healthcare and technology partnerships. Um, I mean, I can tell you that, you know, whether we're talking about Hackensack Meridian's uh, Center for Discovery and Innovation and the connections we've made out there, whether you're talking about our research enterprise and connections with places like Moderna and J&J &J and others uh, as we look at vaccines and other sorts of stuff, the, the, the work that we've done with the Department of Public Health, the way that you guys have convened hospitals, not just globally, but to create regional partnerships across the state um, to be able to pull things in. You know, there, I, I think that, the, that the, the legacy of this is going to be that concept of being able to partner to get things done better, faster. I think, you know, another, you know, another scenario I think that, uh, that's clear here is that um, we, were for, we were all forced to work in a model that I'll always call top of competency. I mean, when, when you ran out of doctors and ran out of nurses and ran out of space and everything else, 
we all of a sudden went to the top of competency. You know, we had ICU doctors running groups of internists like me. We had ICU nurses running groups of surgical nurses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden you go, man, that, we learned a lot about the way we deliver care, the way we could deliver care going forward. Um, but I think those two things are gonna be probably the biggest drivers, that, that, that concept of highly productive, rapidly turned around partnering to get absolutely better outcomes, the one plus one equals three proposition. And then a new, a new way to approach how we actually, without having to invent tons, you know, we're an expensive proposition, we're a huge chunk of GDP. Um, being able to use the resources we do today more effectively and more efficiently, I think is gonna be a, probably a lasting uh, outcome of this. Hey, you know, and and uh, I, you know, it's uh, it's always nice to talk to somebody that you 100% agree with. Um, and you know, number one, uh, my experience uh, from the field hospital point of view, you're absolutely right. We were we were dealing. Uh, we needed people to uh, act at the top of their competencies. I love that expression. Uh, and for us, it was people who had never done these things before. Our our average physician was an outpatient surgeon who didn't spend a lot of time in a hospital yeah. or take care of respiratory emergencies. Our average nurse was a school nurse or some other out nurse who worked in the outpatient who volunteered to come in and, and essentially work in a uh, uh, in a acute care hospital light uh, and take care of you know uh, you know so what turned out to be some fairly sick patients even though we were taking the convalescing uh, and I really do think that um, you know all healthcare systems and so many people really stood up and showed what they can get done and the amount of collaboration and you point this out and I saw this. You know, my experience is the, the number of uh, industries and vendors uh, that came forward with ideas and solutions and, you know, work collaboratively was just amazing. And I think that collaborative part is the part I'd like to take away uh, from this. And we know that technology has been such an important part of enabling that uh, collaboration. So uh, Absolutely. You know, I think it's, a, it's, been an, it was, it's been an amazing period of time and, and we're not done with it, um, which I think is the other interesting part of it. Mm -hmm. So. I really appreciate, first of all, I just want to say uh, on behalf of the Department of Health, we appreciate everything you all have been doing. I know that, you know, you must be as exhausted as probably uh, most of us are personally. And uh, I, I think I've really enjoyed this, uh, this conversation with you. Yeah, thanks, David. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank I'm you. so glad that you both ended, you know, on this idea of collaboration, because that's what, that's, we recently renamed the organization as Tech United because, you know, our experience is that the magic happens when you unite this community. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have you both as part of it. You know, Hackensack, in case people aren't aware, has a bear's den that invests in early stage companies. And we've partnered with them so that if you're looking to grow your, if you have an idea that you think might potentially uh, be a, a, a partnership and interest for Hackensack Marine Health, not only should you apply to bear's den, we're also hosting a frequent and regular office hours with Hackensack Marine Health to, for them to help you, you know, mentor that idea. And there's a specific and deliberate focus around making sure we reach out to the communities of diversity. So if, you're, if you are working on something that you think potentially does have an impact to any of the issues we talked about today or healthcare in general, Hackensack wants to know and they've invested heavily with this fund here. So yeah, Aaron, to, that, to that point, it's, 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 uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous concept that Bob Garrett and our governance and leadership have put in place. And it's, it's not just gadgets. I mean, although we love, we love new technology, et cetera, it's also highly innovative ideas. 
new ways to think about uh, about doing things. We, we look they, the Bears Den looks at both of those. So you don't necessarily have to be a you know a developer. You can just be a really innovative thinker who's come up with a better way to do things. And the Bears Den's just as interested in that as well. Yeah. And I, mean, I want to point out, like you know, you heard throughout this narrative the opportunity to leverage big data, telemedicine. I mean, this is an industry, as are many, that is being revolutionized by the very rapid adoption of technology. Hackensack is, is eagerly adapting and adopting to that technology. And again, you know, as, as this community evolves and we look at that ways we can bring opportunity to our entrepreneurs and innovators, these are the exact kind of partnerships that we're looking to highlight to say, if you're an early stage company, we can help accelerate your growth. We might be able to help you find the capital, but not just that, the mentorship and potentially even a client and partner that can help you grow. I, I want to end on, um, you know, the theme of the week is how to build a better future for all. What would you charge to this audience about as they're thinking about solutions um, and things that they could build? What, and how can we as a community help build a better future for all? I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Adenero. Uh, so I, I think first and foremost, I think you have to be uh, thinking about it from a, uh, of a lens of equity. Um, and, and, I, and I'll steal what, what Dan had said earlier. You, it has to be something that gets out to where the people are and meets them where they live. I think that's been, um, I think that's the lesson we've learned over and over again uh, during this pandemic. Uh, when technology has been the most, most beneficial to us, it's been when everybody can access it in a way that makes sense and that we can get it across all of our communities. And I, and I, and I think uh, that's just so incredibly important to us. And really that's probably the theme I would like to leave people with. And Dr. Varga, same question. Yeah, and you know, I'm gonna tell you, as, as David said earlier, it's great when you have somebody that you agree with uh, wholeheartedly. It's not just, I think for, for the entrepreneurs, for the innovators, make sure that you're meeting people where they are. And, and I take, and take that even farther, not just where they are geographically, where they are uh, socially, where they are from an educational status, where they are from their cultural background. I mean, meeting people where they are is going to be, I, th I think, the currency of, of innovation going forward. Because if you don't do that, and I think the pandemic taught us a lot of that, if we don't go to where people are with whatever it is we're bringing to them, uh, you might as well not have it. Uh, and, you know, and, they, and the, I know that we can make a positive impact because we've seen the negative impact. One of the biggest lessons of this pandemic was when people got spooked about what COVID meant and they didn't know, know what, what it meant at that juncture, they quit coming to the hospital. And we had to go to them because they were scared to come in and if we and if if the if the healthcare delivery system didn't go to them they stayed at home and the outcomes were not good so yeah. just meeting people where they are is not just a preventive thing it's a transformative thing and i think for our in entrepreneurs and thinkers out there keep that in mind i love it i really appreciate both of you being with us today and, and i think that's a great point of building solutions for all not for the few um, which is great to keep top of mind. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and I'm sure you both have uh, significant things to get back to. And we really appreciate your your service to to the state. It's it's you know we've 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 come a long way in uh, in the times that this has hit us, and, and I really appreciate everything you, both of you have done for this. So on behalf of the entrepreneurial community, thank you for that. Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on tap next.